Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio, ready to record episode number 222. Got a really good show lined up for you today. In our warm-up segment, we're going to talk about our City of the Week, Player of the Week, Equipment Tip of the Week, have a fun Did You Know and a really good listener question, and of course, Paige's Power Play. In our lead-off segment, we're going to talk about kind of a twist on something we talked about last week, had a couple of responses, and definitely had a very thoughtful response from a listener on our loyalty topic that we talked about a little bit last week and just a little bit of a, a different outlook on it. Um, in our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about pro leagues. We had another listener who reached out uh, with some ideas about the uh, pro leagues and uh, positives and negatives. And then also in our coaching tip of the week, we want to talk about uh, teaching sliding better because there's too many collisions in too many games. So Don, before we get into those topics, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. Now let's talk about patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. We say weekly, uh, we do appreciate the patrons we have without their support. Everything Fast Pitch and Coach Prep would have gone out of business months ago. But the reality of our situation is pretty simple. We need more people to come on board and become patrons. It's monthly support that you commit to. It's either $5, 10 or $20 a month. The world that we're living in now, obviously, we're all in a tight situation. Everything's a lot more expensive, and the same is uh, true of the podcast world. Coach Don and I really love doing the podcast. We want to keep doing them. But I'm just going to be completely honest with all of you listeners. I'm not going to lose very much more money doing it uh, on a weekly basis. So if we've so, got some people out there that want to come on board, that's great. We got into doing this. Definitely not a hobby when it's costing you an arm and a leg to keep doing it. So if you're in a position where you can, come on board and become a patron. Again, thank you very much to the patrons who are supporting us. Uh, you are the lifeline that's keeping us afloat. But we definitely need more people to go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch and become a patron. If you see value in what we're doing, if you want us to be able to keep doing it, uh, we need some people to come on board and help support it. So, Don, warm-up segment. Let's talk about our city of the week, Seattle, Washington. Seattle, yeah, that's pretty close to uh, home for me when I lived in Everett. It's just, uh, you know, a bordering area around Seattle, but that's probably where I played my first game of baseball, Tori. Yeah, they had baseball back then? Yeah, yeah. No, you're not, you're not the old one in the group, <laughs> so I, I'm just teasing. Um, obviously, we've had a long history with this podcast about, with the Seattle area. Several times when we've talked about the great softball in that part of the country, University of Washington being a perennial powerhouse. You know, the, the Pacific Northwest is an area that we just really have had a lot of support, a lot of listenership. And uh, it's exciting to see the numbers jumping the way they did. Great for us every time we see the numbers go up in an area. Uh, obviously, the, the more people that listen, the happier we are. To see the numbers jumping in uh, Seattle definitely tells us that there's somebody out there doing a good job of spreading the word and, and getting people to listen. 
if you can all do that for us, tell somebody you know that's a fast pitch person that's not already listening to everything fast pitch or coach prep, get them on board. Um, I'm confident that people will keep coming back. I know, you know I keep getting feedback uh, you know, over and over again from people that uh, stumble across the podcast. They find us by accident, and they're so happy to have found it. They love the content. They love the uh, information. And so if uh, we can get the ball rolling, get a few more people on board, obviously we'd be excited to see the numbers continue to go up. And Tori, you can tell as well when we get, uh, you know, the previous episodes get more and more listened. So right. we know people are going back and, and listening to uh, more of the beginning. Right. That's one of the things that's really exciting that uh, I never really knew much about this whole thing, you know, the podcast world before we started doing it. The fact that they are available to people, you know, the backlog, the history of uh, the podcast are available. Um, I know I go back and listen to old podcasts uh, just to kind of refresh myself and, and think about some of the stuff that we've talked about in the past. Um, and I enjoy it. Um, I don't go all the way back to the early, early days because the quality was so bad. It's kind of embarrassing to me to listen to them now. As we said earlier, we want to say thank you to the folks in Seattle. Uh, keep pushing the numbers and keep pushing the uh, idea of uh, listening to everything fast pitch and coach prep to as many of your friends and co-softball people Teammates, as you can. yep, yep. All right, Don, so our player of the week this week is Kendra LeClaire. And Kendra comes to us from Saratoga Springs, New York. She is a pitcher, but now they play modified in their middle school, which is a a version of fast pitch, but not exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Kendra had a great season uh, for the middle school team. As a seventh grader, she was dominating in the pitching circle, had a couple of no-hitters, had a whole bunch of strikeouts, gave up very few earned runs, and also on top of being a a very good pitcher, is just an all-around great player, great hitter. Awesome. Um, had a really good spring season. Uh, obviously, it appears to be on her on her way to having a really good career on down the road. Kendra obviously is uh, is a player to keep an eye on and somebody to keep track of here in the future. Kendra, keep it up. That's awesome. As always, if you would like to nominate somebody for a player of the week consideration, please make sure you reach out to us at fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everything fastpitch at gmail.com. The reason uh, Kendra was nominated and selected this week is her coach, wanted us to know about what she's accomplishing uh, and the fact that she's such a great player and and great student. So obviously we appreciate uh, the nominations and would love for as many of you uh, as possible. You have a player in your life that's doing something great on the field, doing something great in the classroom. Send us a few uh, notes about why you want that player to be recognized and uh, we will add them to the list and be happy to recognize them as the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. So congratulations, Kendra LeClaire. You're the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. So Don. Square cuts, training discs, the equipment tip of the week. No, I know we we keep talking about it each week, Tori, but it's definitely worth the uh, you know worth the time that we spend talking um, about those discs because they are a good quality product that uh, everybody needs to check out. If you haven't tried them, you need to. It's not a, a huge investment, but I know that you know if you get them, you're going to use them for many things. Uh, in particular, you know what we made them for with the hitting. It's going to give you tons of feedback, going to protect your expensive bats, and it's going to create variety in your practices. I don't think there's any coach or any team out there that couldn't utilize a set of these, so you all need them. Right. Well, one of the things that I believe wholeheartedly is that hitting is one of those skills that the more information we have and the more readily available that information is, the better off we're all going to be. And unfortunately, hitting a round ball with a round bat and trying to put all those pieces together is something that is just a very complicated... Can be um, misleading. And, and definitely, that's a great word, Don, misleading situation. And so what the Square Cuts Training Disc does is it tells you for sure, every time you hit it, how your barrel is making contact with the face of the ball, or in this case, the face of the disc. 
Um, it's a no-brainer to me. It's something that every kid should be using, every player should have in their toolbox. Every team should have it as a station when they're setting up for hitting. Found out uh, from our good friend John Davis that uh, they used it for a team practice and, and hit them on the field. And the kids could really appreciate then the feedback that they were getting because it was... When you, you know, strike it square, it flies it nice and perfect. straight. So, yeah. And you go to our fastpitchprep.com website, and you can order them there. Uh, they're forty nine ninety five a dozen. But there's also the YouTube channel where there's a couple of videos short videos that just kind of show you some ideas of how to use the square cuts training disc effectively. If you go to the fastpitchprep.com website, go through the steps, we'll get them shipped out to you right away. Um, we've got them here in stock, and so there's no waiting. There's no supply chain problem here. Uh, we were lucky enough to get ahead of that whole thing a little bit uh, before the madness really set in. So we've got them here, and we're happy to send them to you. So $49.95 a dozen. Go to the fastpitchprep.com website and get them ordered up today. So Don, did you know we're at the point of the summer where the great state of Colorado, the greater Denver area, is the center of the softball universe. I was going to say, there's probably more softball being played and balls hit there this next week, Yeah, which I guess when this comes out, it'll be yep. about it, 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 game it will, on. It'll be uh, pretty much the uh, end of the uh, Colorado madness. The uh, good news is, what has started off with some pretty humble beginnings has turned into this gigantic, gigantic event where I think for me personally, I think I have as many kids that are going to be in Colorado playing as that are going to be here to take lessons next week. So, so we have to adjust the schedule a little bit, you know, you know move some people around a little bit. Um, I'm looking forward to the Facebook posts and uh, results uh, coming in from Colorado. But between the Independence Day tournament, the fireworks, the sparkler, pretty much just massive. Yeah, it's gigantic. And now the thing that's so funny to me is I can remember when Colorado first started doing the 4th of July tournament, it was really humble beginnings. You had uh, the Boulder tournament, you had the fireworks, and I think both of them had something like 32, 64, I mean, you know, a really small field of teams. It was a nice, solid tournament. Yeah, it was definitely the, competitive, yeah. and you yeah. had, had some high-quality teams. But I can remember they played it at just a couple of parks. You know, the uh, fireworks was just a couple of parks in the Boulder area. It wasn't uh, what it's become now. And so when you add in the sparkler and, and obviously Independence Day is the original up at Boulder. But uh, those three tournaments have got hundreds of teams and thousands of players all out in the Denver area playing softball, trying to be seen and, and uh, get in front of some college coaches to have a chance to get recruited. Probably 80% of the college programs in the country have coaches out there recruiting right now. Representing, um, yeah. And it's just, it's it's crazy how it got to be so big. It's exciting that it is such a gigantic event. Tons and tons of softball. I will say without a shadow of a doubt, from a going to recruit perspective, it was my favorite place. And having gone there now a couple of times to coach teams in the travel ball world, since I stopped having to worry about recruiting, it's my favorite place to go and coach. For all of our listeners, if you're a uh, a serious softball player, if you really want to have the full experience, you definitely need to fit a trip to Colorado for the uh, for the big showcases uh, at least once during your career. And I'd say definitely that's the number one place to go. No, I think there's a little sightseeing and whitewater rafting. There's a lot of little side, yeah. side fun things for family too, right? Yeah, no, there's tons of stuff to do besides softball. But the thing that I just uh, have always appreciated about it is I think it's a, a quality event. It's well run. You know, you have a lot of good competition. And again, like you said, Don, there's a lot of other stuff that you can do to kind of fill in the blanks a little bit in the schedule while while you're out there as well. So did you know uh, the greater Denver area is the softball universe for the next 10 Wild days or so? Wild and crazy. 
Yeah. All right, Don. So our listener question is one that I think uh, definitely is, is of interest to you and I. Um, Coach Blake sent me a, an email and he wanted to know how quickly should a player be able to chain slash replace a bad habit, whether it's from an instructor's standpoint or a coaching standpoint. What's the time frame? How how quickly should he see results? That's pretty interesting, Tori. I know um, I always put that right back onto the individual, and, and it all depends on how important it is for them to make the change. If they're excited about the change and they want it and they're ambitious to, to work at it on their own, I think it's going to happen a lot more quickly. If they're resistant to it because they're not really sold on the idea of whatever that change might be, I think it's going to be a lot slower transition for them. But Again, I don't. I think they're all different. I don't know, and it's long. How long has that habit been um, deeply ingrained? Right. You know, from from the get go, and you know, I, I put it back. Some some kids are quick to make changes if if they're not again too exposed to the other, whatever it might be. Right. I'm just excited when they're when they're open to trying to learn new things or trying to make advancements in their in their game through little adjustments. Right. Well, Don, I think you touch on a couple of really important points. Number one is to change any old habit, to break any old habit, requires an awful lot of work. Think about, you know, let's say the typical 15-year-old softball player has been playing softball for six, seven, eight years. Um, they might have done something hundreds of thousands of times one way, you know, maybe a million times one way. And then they go to an instructor, they go to practice, and, and their coach or their instructor sees that an issue or a problem with something that they're doing. If they've done it a way, whether it's right or wrong, a thousand times or a hundred thousand times or a million times, it's not going to just disappear, disappear. because yeah. we say, hey, I noticed that you're doing this or I noticed that you're doing that. From an instructor's perspective, and one of the things that um, I'm always frustrated by is that people somehow do think that there is a quick fix, that there is an instant way to solve a problem. Now, here's what I will tell you, and I think, Don, you're in the same boat as I am. I can watch a player and see issues that need to be fixed very, very quickly. And I think I can give them suggestions and ideas of things that they need to address very, very quickly. But being able to see a problem, correct a problem, and then undo the thousands of reps that they've done it that certain way is, again, a, a total spectrum. You know, you're going to have some kids that pick up on it, as you said, fairly quickly. There are some kids that you will work with for weeks and weeks and weeks and you just don't ever know if if they're going to ever get it. And so then, you know, from a coaching perspective, same thing. You know, I typically see a kid once a week. You know, most coaches are seeing a kid a couple of times a week. If they're not willing to really commit to doing that new thing and gotta, replacing that old habit. They got to buy into it. Right. It, it might never change. And again, it's just uh, one of those things that there is no absolute way of correcting a problem. And I think in some cases, I have a couple of players that I've worked with that you, you know, you grind on it, you grind on it, you work on it for weeks at a time, and all of a sudden they'll, they'll have that breakthrough, and then the new habit replaces the old. Some kids, seems like they get it in a couple of weeks, but then all of a sudden you see a video from them playing in a game, and it's like right back to they never, ever tried to even change it. They're so back to what they were doing beforehand. So, you know, it's just one of those challenging situations. No, I think that's exactly right, Tori. And if they're excited about that change, they're working it on their own, and they're you know, reminding themselves it's not taking the uh, us at that weekly lesson or their coaches during the week. They're already making that adjustment when they're dreaming and thinking about, you know, whatever the next event's going to be. And 
those are the ones that make those adjustments really quick and easy. So it's really hard to put a timeline on. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you can put a timeline on it, but I will throw this one out there for our parents and players that are listening. If you're going to change anything, it takes a lot of hard work to change it. And if you're going to a hitting coach or you're going to a pitching coach or you're working with your coach at a, at a team practice, you have to like sign up for the long haul. You know, there, there are no you know, instant ways of changing anything. And again, it's real easy to look at something and say, hey, you're doing this. This isn't going to work very well. But if they're so used to doing it that way, getting rid of it is not an easy thing to do. And it can be very, very frustrating. So if you're taking your kid to a new hitting coach or you're taking your kid to a new pitching coach because they've got a problem and you think that person's going to have some sort of magic elixir that's going to solve it, you're probably going to be really disappointed. I think you just have to be realistic in your expectations and then get ready to do some work to try to address whatever the challenges are. No, I think that's good advice for sure, Tori. And again, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's great when things do happen quickly, but that's not the norm. Right. Well, and, and uh, you know, when you think about you know, hitting specifically, I mean, if you hit 400, we think you're a great hitter, which means you're probably still going to look really bad on some swing. Sure. Right. I mean, you're still probably going to have some at bats where you do revert back to the old habits. And you might get a hit once in a while with the old habits. You might get a couple of hits with the new habits, and you're just going to have to keep arm wrestling with it until the new habits take over. I always uh, tell kids this story. There's this old cartoon I remember when I was a kid. I think it was uh, Bugs Bunny, but there's the devil on one shoulder telling Bugs to do the wrong thing, and there's an angel on the other shoulder telling Bugs to do the right thing, You know that we need to try to listen to the angel when it's time to try to make changes in our softball. But the the devil's working pretty hard to keep the old habits in there, too. So (laughs) just kind of be realistic. So, Coach Blake, thank you very much for sending us that question. For all of our listeners, if you have questions, things that you would like us to talk about, make sure you contact us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Coach Don and I really like to have uh, interaction with our listeners uh, to have an idea of what you're thinking and what you think is important so we can talk about all the right stuff. So, Don, that's going to take us to this week's edition of Pages Power Play. Hey there, it is Paige coming in with some work on positive self-talk that actually works for your athlete. I talk a lot about how we can tell ourselves these positive things and be positive, especially in those really hard moments when we just want to tell ourselves crappy things. So if that sounds like your daughter, I totally get it. I totally understand. And In my program and in weekly mindset lessons, I'm challenging my girls to practice their positive self-talk, like practice, 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 right? Because practice makes perfect. But here are some ways that you can help your daughter work on some positive self-talk. So number one, I like to do this little opinions exercise where you write down someone else's negative opinion of you or your own negative opinion of yourself, cross that out, and then rewrite your own powerful positive opinion that actually matters because remember, your opinion matters the most. So that's something that you can work on with your daughter is, okay, what's this opinion coming from this coach or yourself? Cross it out. What do you think about yourself or what do you want to think about yourself? The other thing is affirmations, and I know you guys have heard me talk about these, but they're just so powerful. They're so important, and the more that we practice them, the easier and better it gets. These are affirmations are just strong, confident, powerful, I am blank statements, okay? And I wanted to give you guys some of my own examples for myself 
Some of those are, I am a strong, beautiful, competitive CrossFit athlete. I am an intellectual, smart, resilient entrepreneur that owns her own business, empowering girl athletes to build self-confidence and rock it out there in competition. I am a bad A. I don't know if anyone's <laughs> got little ears listening. I am caring, loving, thoughtful, and a kind human being. I am a child of God. I am abundant when it comes to money and finances. I am brave and courageous when doing new things. And like, I know that this is hard work. The last thing I want to do when I suck at something or when I fail or when I'm not feeling like it is to tell myself, oh, you've got this page, like pat yourself on the back. It's okay. Go get the next one. It's okay to feel pissed off, frustrated, mad, sad, whatever it is. This just means that your daughter cares. This just means that your athlete is passionate. This just means that she wants to be better, the best. And that's that's all it means. So instead of just being positive, rah, rah, I love me after we mess up, we're going to help your daughter be more productive. And here's what that looks like. So I'm up to bat. I have some really good cuts. I foul some off. I feel like I'm on it, but then I swing and miss it a change up. Like, ugh, right? At first I'm pissed because I went up there and failed. I didn't get the hit and I'm frustrated, angry, annoyed, all the negative thoughts and feelings. But remember, and I remember like, that's okay. This is the time to take a timeout and be productive. And what I mean is to have some self-reflection. Teach your daughter to ask herself these things after messing up. Ask, have her ask herself, what did I do well? And, or guide her, ask her these things, maybe after the game. What did I do well? So I felt like my hands were on point and on time when fouling those pitches off. What did I not do so well? I didn't read the changeup. What did I learn from that? Next time I'll expect the changeup better. Um, and then how do I get better moving forward? I'm going to be aggressive and make connection in those first few pitches. Then move forward because... I want you to remind your daughter that the best athletes are the ones that can overcome failure and move forward the fastest. They're the best of the best. So let's help your athlete get better at overcoming failures by using positive self-talk from day to day, game to game, play to play, moment to moment. And if you want some more support in this, you can grab the weekly mindset lesson for her to work on exactly this. We are like literally working on exactly these things in mindset lessons this week. So you can grab that at my website, pagetons.com backslash lessons. But I'm here to support you and I want you to be able to help your daughter with these things and at the end of the day, just know that the positive self-talk doesn't have to be all positive, Polly. It can be productive, okay? And uh, these different things that I gave you are all things that are going to help her start switching her mindset. So I hope that you are able to take action, use this. Talk to you guys soon. For our listeners, if anybody didn't know, Paige is going to be a mom very soon. She's gotten way ahead of the game and has provided us with a whole bunch of content that we're going to use here while she's on her little bit of a, a hiatus. Uh, but we certainly do appreciate her contributions to everything Fast Pitch. And uh, everybody keep her and her family in our prayers um, so that everything goes well. And uh, mom and, and baby are going to be super healthy and super happy. Exciting times. Yeah. No doubt about it. So Don, that's going to take us to our leadoff topic, which is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite Sporting Goods is located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 677 0270. You can also contact them at elite sport orders at yahoo.com. 
bats, balls, gloves, anything you need, reach out to the folks at Elite and they will hook you up. They're happy to ship anywhere in the country. So, Don, first email that I wanted us to talk about came to us from uh, Coach Sam. As two different Sams today, so let's not get confused. Two different people. Very cool. Um, yeah. And we talked last week about loyalty, and uh, Coach Sam's discussion basically kind of revolves around that we all, and especially I think you and I both, we talk about this from the coach's perspective so much, you know, that sure. we want players to be loyal to our team. We want players to be loyal to our program. We want players basically to be loyal to us and that our old school mentality has a hard time, I think, sometimes wrapping our heads around the fact that players might not necessarily always have the same level of loyalty to our team or our program um, or to us as, as coaches as we wish they had or that we want them to have. And I think sometimes we kind of get caught up in the uh, old school thinking of, you know, once upon a time, it was so different than it is now, or, you know, that it used to be so different than it is now. But Sam raised a very uh, strong point, strong thought for us to talk about is that, yes, it's great to be loyal to a team or loyal to a coach or loyal to a situation. But when is the... Where is the line in the sand that says it's time for me to really be loyal to my own career, to my from a player's perspective? When is it time for that player to be loyal to themselves, loyal to what they want to accomplish, loyal to their own goals and, and aspirations? And I thought that was an interesting thing for us to talk about a little bit today. And honestly, it's a little bit outside my normal thought process, but it really did make me think a little bit. And so I wanted us to kind of jump into this and uh, kind of give people some things to think about. The first thing I will say is that uh, while I definitely have the pro old school, stick pro to stick it. to it, yeah. be loyal to your team, be loyal to your school is my default. It's my, my go-to. I've also always believed that there is a shelf life for almost every player in a program and that there's a time and place when it's right for a player to look for a different opportunity. And to me, I think part of the challenges how do you manage that how do you how do you see that and and i guess you know what's the keys that kids should be or parents should be thinking about as they're looking at at their options no tori again that's a nice a nice thought to step into the other shoes or step into the other side a lot of the things that we've experienced have been just like you said old school and you stick to it you stick together we're stronger together all those things but uh, I think there's probably a lot of instances where a change is beneficial in somebody's progress. That That's what's needed to help them be around players that are going to help them to make it to the next level or to push them to become right. better. And, um, you know, I think that that's just part of the deal in the whole big scheme of things. But what we're probably more grumping about is just the easiness or the flippidness of just, right. oh, I'm, I'm uncomfortable for whatever reason, so I'm just going to move and change. Right. And for that just to be so normal and typical that it pours over into, uh, even into the college game a little bit. Right. But So, yeah, no, I think there's definitely times that it's it's uh, a needed change to, to slide to a group that's going to um, help you. And I don't see there being a big issue with that, but communication and, you know, talking to the coaches and you know, being very thankful for all the things that they've shared and given you and opportunities and stuff like that as you're about to make a change, I think is an important part of the whole uh, growing thing too, maybe. Right. What do you think? Well, and I think, uh, you know, the the challenge is, I guess it, uh, it's not so much the choice 
to move to a different team as it is the way in which that decision is reached. You know, to me, I think you touched on a very important point that because it's becoming easier and easier to switch, at least at the college level, and that's, you know, kind of where my point of reference always goes back to, we've kind of made it so much easier to switch, to leave teams, to switch to a different team, that it strikes me as being too frivolous or too quick to choose that as the only option when um, sometimes I think that trying to fix the situation, trying to you know, correct a problem, trying to work through a situation is something that I've always just been more of a fan of. Now, Sam's email, he mentions that was not a frivolous thing in, in this situation. It was long, fought, hard, battle. Thoughtfulness. Right. It was, it was yeah. thoughtful. It was, you know, the efforts were made to work through, you know, different challenging situations, you know, as, you know, as the team struggled, you know, they, they were loyal to the team for a very long time. As the, you know, as the team tried to you know, rebuild and then rebuild again, you know, that they were loyal for a very long time. And, you know, in, in his email, he's, you know, very, you know, complimentary of the coaches and, and people that impacted his daughter, but, you know, just kind of got to the point where it was time for her to do something different. Sure. And now if if we're, as you said, thankful and appreciative and, and letting those people know that we valued the time and effort that they put in and, and we leave on good terms, you know, to me, I think that's uh the best case scenario needs to be part of it, right? Yeah, and so, uh, and again, I don't want it to come off like I'm always thinking, saying coaches good, players bad. There's lots of bad coaches. There's lots of coaches sure. that deserve to have you know, players leaving them uh, on a regular basis because it's, uh, you know, they just no, don't do a very good job. They're just, you know, either not very good coaches or, or you know, creating a really good environment for the kids to be in. But I also think that uh, we just have a have to find the balance between when is switching teams the right thing, and have we really done all we can to try to resolve problems instead of just running away from them or leaving them? And in the players' defense too, Tori, we've, we've got uh, many teams that have multiple age kids, some first-year 16s, some second-year 16s or 18s and 17, whatever. But uh, the demographics of the team change so much as part of the team leaves. The part that leaves might have been the, the part of the team that uh, really drove practices to to help excel the whole group. Right. And as those kids graduate out, now the the next group has to try and fulfill that somehow. And when it doesn't happen, it just seems like a whole new environment that's right. just not it's not clicking. Yeah, the dynamics change so yeah. drastically from year to year, season to season, that it can be. No, you signed up for one thing, and then all of a sudden something totally different is really what's going on. Yeah, but you experienced it for for a year when those other kids were there, right? And then as they as they have to move on, either go to college or to the to the next level, the whole world just seems to have changed, and it doesn't end up fulfilling, you know, what our hopes were for our growth. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the the real question is when is it time to choose what's best for you and your growth and development as a player. And for everybody, that's going to be different. But if you have, you know, aspirations of playing at a higher level, if you have, you know, aspirations of trying to accomplish something bigger, you know, then that's going to always be part of the evaluation process as you're as you're looking at the teams that you've been on or the teams that you need to be on in the future. You know, and one of the things that this discussion has really made me kind of think about, you know, from a college coaching perspective, because that's really, you know, 99% of my uh, experience was in the school ball setting as a high school coach and then as a co- college coach. 
specifically as a college coach, but I think this kind of relates to the travel ball world a little bit. I always felt like players should be loyal to our program. But in hindsight, every year I would try to recruit the very best players I could to come in and challenge the players that were already on the team. And so, you know, to me, I felt like I was being loyal to the team by getting the very best players I could. But I can understand how players would think I wasn't being loyal to them because, well, you recruited me uh, two years ago and you know, I played or whatever, I you know, contributed as a freshman or a sophomore and I did really well. And then all of a sudden, boom, this new kid comes in and she takes my spot away. And so in my mind, I think I was always thinking about, well, what's best for the team, which i.e. means more wins, or at least that's the way I related it. But I can see how players could look at a situation like that, whether it's travel ball or school ball. You know, if, you're, if you've been on a travel ball team for a few years, and all of a sudden some new kid comes in that also plays your position. I've been on this team for three or four years, and I've been loyal to this team, but now this team is finding you know somebody else to to take my spot. So it's just it's such a complicated Tori, situation. That's a very interesting um, twist right yeah. there, right? But again, their their expectations of you also too are to continue to make the team that they're already a part of the best team you can make. Right. From a recruiting standpoint, here's the speech I always gave to every player that I recruited. I'm recruiting you because I think you can make this team better. Right. But I'm going to always recruit players who I think can make this team better. And if they all end up being shortstop, or in that one case that I've talked about a, you know, a dozen times on this podcast, they all ended up being catchers. Well, they all couldn't be the catcher, but you know th those kids all wanted to play enough that they were willing to play right field and left field and first base and and all these other things just to make sure they could still be in the lineup. They still got to hit. So the whole loyalty thing, you know, this has just really made me kind of think about it because I've been spending all this time thinking about how the, the transfer portal is evil. And part of me still hates the transfer portal for a lot of different reasons, but it's also made me kind of reevaluate a little bit. And so back to, to Sam's situation and you know, his uh, uh, example, sometimes I think it's important for us to kind of keep a balance. And I think if we worked really hard to try to, make a situation the best we can. If it just gets to that point where the team doesn't match up with what I'm trying to accomplish, or the team is not going to be in a position to help me get where I really want to go, then that's where you have to be more loyal to your own aspirations and your own goals than to the team's goals. I think that's you know kind of what we can kind of wrap this up with when we talk about the transfer portal in the college game. I'm starting to understand why players will leave Michigan to go to Oklahoma. Sure. Because it gives them a better chance to win a national championship. Uh, I'm starting to understand why schools you know, that are really good schools will lose players to other really good schools. It's just the way, you know, the nature of it. But I also will say there's right now over a thousand softball players in the transfer portal. That's just so interesting. Which that number tells me that there's still something really out of whack with this whole, it's too easy to leave and for the coaches too, Tori, I just hope there's a lot of communication happening before we enter the, the portal. It just tears at me to think that, you know, you're looking in the portal and you find your players in there. You know, I don't know how all that process works, but yeah, hopefully yeah, there's the, a lot the of conversation. The first time you find out that a player is unhappy is when they've already left. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I, that, that's part of one, again, one of the things I don't really like about the whole scenario. About the whole scenario. So Sam, thank you very much for uh, reaching out to us with your thoughts. Um, hopefully, uh, we uh, made a couple of points here that kind of, you know, keep this uh, discussion alive. And as we say uh, on a regular basis, I wish I knew then what I know now, because um, just having this discussion and thinking about it a little bit more from another person's perspective has made me really think twice about 
some things that I firmly believe in. Now, I'm still not a fan of how the transfer portal works in the college game, but I'm a lot, I think I'm a lot less quick to judge somebody's motivation now if they decide that they're going to leave the school or the team that they're on. Sure. All right, so Don, that's going to take us to our cleanup topic. Our cleanup topic is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. All right, so Don, another Sam sent us an email. Last week, we talked about the Pro League are cranking up, you know, the uh, different versions of professional softball. You know, the uh, Athletes Unlimited have been on uh, ESPN quite a bit. And the women's professional fast pitch is kind of doing a barnstorming tour where they're out, you know, going to different parts of the country and playing games in front of different uh, local local markets. And Sam raised a question or a, a point, I guess is probably a better way to say it, about how we can help support professional fast pitch more effectively and things that we need to be thinking about and things that we need to be doing to try to help them have the sustainability that we know is is missing. No, I think that's tricky, Tori. And again, anytime you can get out and watch uh, any of these events, that kind of support is amazing. But, you know, I think sponsorship and any, if you're in a position that they can do that kind of thing, that would probably be helpful too, right? Yep, no doubt. But so uh, here's Sam's uh, point. I'm just going to read this from his email just because I think it, it says it really clearly and it'll kind of give our listeners something to think about. So this was Sam's question. What do you think needs to be done to get enough support to keep these leagues going? For me, it's about connection. I root for my college team because it's my school. I root for my pro teams because that's where I grew up. Uh, He says, I'm a UCF fan, and our best pitcher was drafted by Rochester in the WPF, so I'll follow them. But I think that there's a lack of connection is a big hurdle for professional softball. And I I agree, and I think that Sam's hitting on a really key point that somehow we need to help the people who are trying to keep professional fast pitch moving and growing and going in the right direction, some information or some thoughts or some ideas that will maybe help them create more of that connection. And to Sam's point, here's the thought I had just uh, earlier today. I was watching a little bit of the Athletes Unlimited. And I love watching it because a lot of the players are players that I watched and really got to be fans of you know, over this last you know, handful of years uh, when they were playing in their college careers. But I don't really have a rooting interest when I watch those games. To me, that's kind of the missing ingredient. We need to figure out a way to get people to really want to connect with and support the teams. And I don't know that we've ever been able to really do that. You know, we've seen the, you know several different models, and really the only teams that have been really successful are the ones that are affiliated with big, big softball companies. You know, the UAAA Pride. Well, UAAA is one of the biggest amateur sports companies, you know, youth sports companies in the world. You know, they, they sponsor dozens of sports and, and thousands of tournaments all around the country um, every year. So they've got the bankroll to have a really good team. Have an um, impact. We've seen a couple of other 
organizations that uh, were, were very similar to this. And just kind of a like quick little history lesson, the uh, NPF, which unfortunately had a, about a 10 or 12-year run and, uh, and eventually went out of business, there was a documentary on Netflix for a while. It's called Burn the Ship. And it was a documentary movie about the NPF from the perspective of the Akron Racers, which is, you know, kind of the, you know, when you think about the minor league, major league comparison, you know, the USSA pride is like the Yankees and the, uh, you know, Akron Racers and some of the other teams in the, in the pro league were more like the Rochester Mud Hens or, you know, some other AAA team that was, you know, trying like crazy to keep up, but didn't have the money, didn't have the support, didn't have the financial backing to be able to you know, keep up with the big dogs. And so um, I thought that documentary was a really good look at to, you know, some of the issues. So now our question is, what can we do to help create more of a connection, more of a rooting interest, so that people really want to follow the players into their pro careers? Yeah, it's kind of tough to figure which comes first, right? I mean, how do we create that connection without, you know, that interaction? Right. And it's, it's tough. We, we need more TV. We need more viewership of those events right. after college and try and figure out how, how to keep it exciting. Because right. you're exactly right when you say, I can watch a game and enjoy the skills, but it's so much more fun if there's, you know, that last little nugget of attachment whether it's a, a school that you've attended or, you know, you've got some more personal connection there. So that's, that's a nice point. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, kind of to Sam's point, we left Wisconsin in 2000, you know, moved to Tennessee and then uh, I moved to Atlanta and I'm still a Brewer fan. I'm still a Buck fan. I'm still a Packer fan because those were my teams growing up as a kid and they will always be my teams no matter what happens. So even though I'm interested in the Braves and the Braves winning a World Series is cool, the Braves thing is a whole nother thing because they were the Milwaukee Braves when I was very young. And uh, unfortunately, uh, they showed no loyalty to the city of Milwaukee <laughs> and, and headed, uh, headed to Atlanta. But I, I, I digress. We haven't found that, that niche yet for fast pitch. And Don, I think you raise a good point that, you know, is, is it a chicken or an egg kind of scenario? Here's what I honestly believe. I really enjoy watching the Athletes Unlimited, but I don't think that's the connection program to, to, to build. That's not the bridge. No. Now, it, it is if, if you're a fan of individual players, but watching a team sport, just so you can watch Sis Bates hit once every nine hitters, when you don't really care about their team, is a little bit weird to me. You know, watching you know, a, a game on TV because you really want to watch you know, a specific player I get the idea of how and and the uh, originality of what they're doing, but to me, to really build a thriving entity, we do need teams, we need cities, we need you know kids that start off going to games when they're you know little kids because mom and dad are fans and want to keep you know keep building that family and history a team that they want to play for one day, right. And there's really a chance for that. Right. Yeah. Well, and for us, you know, in, in fast pitch, there, there's a whole lot more realistic dream if we could get professional fast pitch up and running to the level that we would like it to be versus uh, Major League Baseball right now. So anyhow, the connection thing, Sam, you're hitting a, a really good point. I would love to hear from some listeners for some ideas, too, of ways that you think we could build that connection. But I, I firmly believe a team with a roster and players that you can get to know, and just the traditional idea of rooting for a team is 
to my way of thinking, a much stronger model. And then I think, you know, getting the right people involved. I'm encouraged about the women's pro fast pitch with uh, Lauren Chamberlain being involved. And obviously she's used her connections to Oklahoma because she convinced Jocelyn Allo to join their organization this year instead of her going with uh, Athletes Unlimited. So I think that there's some potential in that, but I do think we need to find the way to create that uh, rooting interest that has been lacking for the most part so far. No, Tori, I like I like what you said about uh, you know having teams that kids can aspire to be a part of. And again, I'm thinking of all the little ones in our area here when they're out watching the college games. That's kind of an exciting attachment for them. But if it was a pro scenario, I think that would be even more exciting. Right. Like with a nice stadium and a nice area for them to play. Yeah. Well, when I think the the one trap that we keep falling into, especially now that the College World Series and the college game you know, has gotten so big, that we think that if we can't get a stadium that's got ten or 12,000 people in it like we have for the uh, College World Series championship games, that somehow it's not professional enough. And that's not going to be something that just happens out of the blue. Um, you know, It's going to take time to build it up. We've got to stay consistent. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we've talked about this in the past. I can remember watching the Division I College World Series championship game on ESPN when there was uh, 150 or 200 people in the stands. Right. You know, they didn't even have uh, stands all the way down the side. People were sitting on the grass on a little hillside watching the game. And, you know, from that it's grown into this gigantic thing. You know, the one thought in the past that uh, to me strikes a, a, a potential chord for creating some connection, you know, as Sam mentions in his email, you know, that, uh, you know, there's connection to your school. Uh, if there was a professional team, let's say, in Norman, Oklahoma or Oklahoma City, and let's say five of their players are earmarked to be Oklahoma players, and then let's say you had another uh, team in another, you know, in Los Angeles, and, you know, five of their players were guaranteed to be UCLA players. Texas, five players, you know, from from Texas. In Georgia, you know, in Atlanta, five players from Georgia, you know, some sort of territorial... I like um, where you're heading with that. Now, that way we could start following them while they're in college because we know right. five of them are going to be right. and, and part of I our would, group. You know, and just let's say from a you know, purely you know, personal perspective, if we had a professional team in Atlanta and I knew Sarah Mosley when she was done playing at Georgia was going to be playing on the Atlanta whatevers, I would already be looking forward to her becoming a professional and be following the team in anticipation of her becoming a part of the team. Yeah. And you could do some sort of regional talent pool kind of thing so that, you know, let's say if you had, you know, six teams and all of those six teams could have, let's say, four wild card players where they could have anybody from anywhere they wanted. But then they had 12 players or 16 players or whatever the numbers are. I don't know what the numbers would have to be that would be from within a, whatever geographical area. So, miles yeah, or, so let's yeah. say the Atlanta team has, you know, five or six kids from Georgia, two or three kids from Georgia Tech, you know, a couple of kids from Georgia State and Kennesaw State and Columbus State or you know, whatever other, you know, UT Chattanooga, whatever, you know, the, the schools are that are within that footprint. I think you'd have that built-in uh, attraction because it'd be, you know, kids that uh, are familiar to that local market and that already have a connection. And, you know, we know word of mouth is going to be pretty powerful. If I know I'm going to go watch a game because, you know, I, I've known Sarah since she was, you know, a little kid and I really want to support her, I'm going to tell a whole lot of people, hey, I'm going to the Atlanta game on Saturday to watch Sarah and a bunch yeah. of a bunch of her teammates. 
So maybe something along those lines. But obviously, I think the challenge then is getting some corporate support behind it, some financial support behind it. Because if you've got a team that's you know located in Atlanta and they've got to fly out to Los Angeles for a weekend series, that's not going to be inexpensive. But I think that uh, that I think your concept though of it being from that same geographical area is going to make it, I think, more exciting for right. somebody to invest in it if if they are a Georgia um, graduate right. that started a business that knows yeah. that Georgia kids are going to benefit. And, and it could even be you know a Georgia kid who played at UCLA. Sure. Could, you know, could have you know some sort could of all kinds of little you know, caveats, some in there. some niches in there too. But I think that uh, that might be a way to create some of, as Sam says, the connection that's missing or has been missing in the past. Because if I knew I could go watch a team play that had four or five or six kids that I knew about or knew personally yeah. or had watched a lot cr- coming through their college career. Or that I, you played against. Right. You know, you, coached you, against you, in travel ball, whatever it might all, be. All the other fans here might be kids that they played with or against. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and so to me, that might be a way to start to start that snowball rolling downhill to try to gain some momentum. Much more so than, you know, saying you have a team in Atlanta and you have a team from, you know, all over the country uh, might be a really talented team, but I'm less connected to those kids. I have less less history with those kids because, you know, I didn't watch Long Beach State. Or I didn't watch as good you know, as they are. They're yeah. from the other coast, or even some of the other you know big Power Five schools. Now I'm I'm kind of an unusual case because I've watched Pac-12 softball on TV, but I still wouldn't be as likely to go watch somebody from University of Washington who's just a transplant to the Atlanta team as I would somebody who's got Atlanta ties. Absolutely. So, so Sam, I think there's an idea that w- that I'm I'm willing to throw out there as a possibility, but I'd love to hear from listeners about other ideas, things that we could do, share with the people in charge, because we need professional fast pitch to become a legitimate opportunity for these players after they're done. You know, one of the things that you know, I've heard Michelle Smith talk about, you know, a dozen times on on different broadcasts, that we basically cut players out of fast pitch softball when they're just starting to get good. You know, when you look at uh, you know, most sports, most professional sports, the players are at their absolute maximum when they're 27, 28, 29 years old. Yeah, and, that's true. You know, for the vast majority of our softball players, they're long gone from the game by then. They're and so, in careers and families. Yep. Right. And yep. if anybody wants to doubt that, look how good Monica Abbott still is. Right. Look how good Cat Osterman still was. You know, I mean, there's something missing when players who should really be hitting their prime and beyond um, are already retired from the game because there's no place for them to play. So, Sam, thank you very much. Uh, we do appreciate uh, your suggestion, and, and uh, hopefully that uh, was uh, a little bit of fun to talk about. So our coaching tip of the week, Don, too many collisions, too many big crashes. You know, I, I watch you know, enough YouTube videos and, and Facebook stuff to say that, especially in the younger ages across the board, that either kids don't know how to slide, they don't know when to slide, we're not teaching them how to slide well enough. But if I see one more kid get T-boned, in a play at home plate when the runner clearly should have slid. And I don't care whether we, you know, I, I don't want us to make a rule that says you have to slide anywhere, but I want us to teach our players to do it well enough that they have confidence in doing it and that they just do it automatically instead of, you know, having two kids running into each other like a, you know, unstoppable force and a movable object. No, I think unfortunately too, sometimes it's a, an experience level difference between the teams that are playing and, it's just really unfortunate when anybody gets injured 
you know, trying to play a game and have fun. Right. And when, you know, when we've got kids out there that are really highly experienced, they feel sometimes like they need to, you know, make the catch because they are the one that everybody's looking to, to, to do it. And the others are trying hard to be that one. And we just have lots of oopses when, you know, all these things are happening. So, you know, to mandate sliding or to, you know, figure out a way to, to create better communication a little bit with the coaching, we got to put a little on their shoulders to, to share with the kids and give them a chance to learn to be better prepared to be on the field. But just a tragedy when somebody has to sit out because of an injury right. that could have been prevented. Yeah, well, yeah. The, the preventable part of it is what, what yeah. has gotten me kind of cranked up today. It's just sad to me when I see these kinds of things happening when they should be and can be avoided uh, without that much difficulty. fact that it's happening as often as I see it, and I'm not at the ballpark very much, but I still see uh, at least a couple of collisions every every time I go, see kids crashing into each other. Some of it, I think, is malicious uh, with the intent of trying to break up a play or whatever. That's but sometimes really, I think yeah. it's just lack of, as you said, Don, confidence or lack of knowledge about how to do it well. And so rather than, you know, they don't know how to slide, so they just, you know, go barreling in there and then, you know, or they slide really badly late and then they hurt themselves. It's just, it's a train wreck. So coaches, coaching tip of the week is really simple. We need to be sliding more. We need to be teaching it more. We need to help all these kids learn to do it well. And so it should become their go-to. If there's any possibility of a play where at base that they're going to, that they know that they can slide and they feel confident doing it. And if they do that, the chances of uh, these really big wrecks are going to get diminished greatly. You know, we can still always get hurt, but let's try to do something uh, to make it a little bit less painful for the kids involved. Talk about it, practice it, have a plan. And then and... practice it some more, and then practice it some more, <laughs> and then practice it some more. And we'll play better. All yep. right. So, Don, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. For uh, uh, all of our listeners, thank you very much for being here with us. Um, as always, please make sure you support our sponsors, the Anderson Bat Company, Elite Sporting Goods, and Pinnacle Power Butter. Please order your Square Cuts training discs at fastpitchprep.com, $49.95 a dozen. Also, when you go to the fastpitchprep.com website, uh, access to over 700 blogs, uh, the YouTube channel with a couple hundred videos. There's just tons and tons of information there. Um, and again, we would love for you to order your Square Cuts training disc by going to the, to the website. If you have questions, comments, ideas, topics you'd like us to talk about, and Player of the Week nominations, please make sure you reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com and fastpitchprep at gmail.com. So for Coach Don McKinley, our producer Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tori saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.